You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading solar industry veteran, Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and thanks for joining our regular podcast. This is uh, Solar Insiders and my name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. How are you, Nigel? Oh, terrific. Giles, how are you this week? Look, pretty good, pretty good. Look, it's been another exciting, another exciting week, fortnight, month in the energy industry. Look, it's pretty exciting over this last month. I guess we've got the data. Look, we've got a lot to talk about today. And it's, so much. Um, so, so much. So much. But let's start with the really good news um, and then go off into some um, a couple of what-ifs. Last month in October, um, I understand, was the biggest ever month for rooftop solar installations ever in Australia. E- ever. Ever. Um, just astounding, astounding result. Um, you know, everyone's been talking about how busy it is and, you know, how frantic everyone is and how there's no capacity in the industry. So, yeah, um, numbers are coming through saying we did around about 105 odd megawatts, 110 megawatts, perhaps. What's really interesting, though, um, is that we probably could have squeezed through another 10 or maybe 20 megawatts if the industry wasn't so capacity constrained at the moment. So huge, great record. What and what's constraining the capacity then? I mean, I've heard of the um, issues with the shipping costs. Um, it seems like there's been a bit of a take on a bit of an oligopoly formed on um, on the shipping lines out of China. So they've kind oh. of um, in one of the wholesalers actually told me that um, uh, costs had in, uh, increased threefold on containers, gone from six hundred dollars US to about $2,200 US, and that's probably going to add about one cent a watt on panels. But wow. Um, is there any other constraints happening? There are. There's a couple. One which we've mentioned before, which is is still continuing on, which is associated with um, inverter shortages. So actually getting enough inverters into the country uh, in time is a bit of a challenge at the moment. Uh, we talked about the, that before because some of the key components that are used in solar inverters are also used in the inverters that are in electric vehicles. Um, and of course, uh, everywhere but Australia, electric vehicles are booming. Uh, so there is a lot of demand there that's causing problems. And and That's pretty a, interesting. Huh? It is, yeah, 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 yeah. So there's this huge growth in EVs um, around the world, and and uh, very similar technologies used. Uh, and there's another problem too, which is solar panel shortages. And I ask you've got to ask me, Giles. Ask me how it could be the case that the solar panel shortages in Australia are as a result of our government. Nigel, tell me why the solar panel shortage in Australia is because of our government. What an excellent question, Giles, and let me blow your mind. It's because of, get this, our coal exports to China. Tell me more. (laughs) What... What has happened is the coal generation, and it was in the news again today, the coal generation in in China is prolific, as we know, and it's one of the major causes of pollution. And uh, it's all that great Australian clean coal that uh, Matt Canavan and uh, Barnaby want to send over to China, not causing a problem here, but it's causing some big, big problems over in China. And what happened in the last few weeks, the Chinese government, the pollution actually got so horrendously bad that they said, look, we have to cut this air pollution. We have to take drastic measures. So we're going to shut down 80,000 factories. Mm-hmm. And they did. Which they did before the Olympics, actually, yes. They I did. Think. They did. That's right. So they did it again because the the the... the, the 
air pollution in um, in Beijing when I was looking the other day. Gosh, what was it? Uh, 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 it's, off, it's, off, it's off the register. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So it's what happens? So all, all the factories closed down and that stopped producing solar panels. That's right. So there are a number of solar panel factories and other component supply factories that were caught up in this. So they literally couldn't, they had to send their staff home, they couldn't run their factories and they shut down. And that is part of the reason that there's been supply constraints in Australia. Hmm. And you tell me also that there's another impact as well, because this smog is actually having an impact on how much solar is actually producing in China. That's right. Okay, so China is one of the biggest markets for solar in the world not only for production but also they put a lot of very large-scale plants in huge amounts of solar going in and there was a report that i was reading just the other day where they said they've been looking at the yield how much annual output they get out of these solar farms and they realized that uh the yield was very low and in some areas particularly on the fringes of the urban areas where a lot of factories and uh, industry is based is as much as 35 percent lower than what they had originally planned for uh directly as a result of um you know australia's love affair with exporting coal to china uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, Giles, but I can't help thinking Tony Abbott somehow arranged all this. <laughs> well, I don't know whether he did it deliberately, but it's certainly um, one of the most sort of visible um, impacts. Um, it is actually interesting about that too, because the International Energy Agency, which is this really sort of conservative um, thing that was set up about four decades ago to deal with the um, what was then the oil crisis in the 1970s, came out with this um, its annual re- report, which is the World Energy Outlook, and it's kind of like the bible for the fossil fuel industry of what the future of the industry looks like mm. and it's always been really conservative and it's been notorious for underestimating the its predictions for solar but what it said this thing um, this time was really really interesting one it basically said that coal is dead in the water um, even in the current policy scenario which is not doing anything particularly serious about climate change coal is not going to grow mm. two if we start doing something about climate change coal is going to fall very very quickly if we actually um, look to reach the two degree targets then coal is going to be all but disappeared by 2040. Only 6% left in global electricity generation by 2040, which is extraordinary wow. when you think that in Australia it's 80%. Um, wow. And even that bit would only be uh, carbon capture and storage. And what was interesting was it was talking about solar being obviously the cheapest technology um, in the world, that solar would be the dominant new capacity in the world. But it also talked about China. And it talked about how China is going to be the biggest influencer on the market. Now, we already know that it's the biggest investor in wind and solar. Mm-hmm. But it just reinforced this point that China is going to be moving very quickly to deal with its health impacts and its pollution impacts. And these are entirely compatible with the climate change impacts. And in, in fact, the IEA just sort of came up with this new sort of policy scenario or sort of sustainable development goals and basically saying that by 2040 this can be achieved we can reach the climate targets we can actually deliver electricity for all so so much for coal being the only way to deliver to solve energy poverty um, but we can also sort of um, improve the environment and they said that china is going to be going gangbusters on this and if they put their foot to the pedal then this will happen even quicker than we thought and i thought that was interesting and, and quite nice in the context of what you were saying it's fascinating and you know i've been watching the ie forecasts for uh, a long time now and and as you rightly pointed out they are always notoriously conservative right so if they're coming out and saying this now 
right, then you can almost guarantee that when we actually get to that point, we're going to be even further ahead than what they're currently predicting. So that is that is really interesting. Well, that's right. When you've got the IEA predicting um, that in the policies which are committed to now, it'll be 40% renewables globally by 2040. And if they sort of put their foot to the accelerator and do the Paris ch- climate goals, then it's going to be at least 60% renewable energy. Um, then you can probably be sure it's going to be a lot more. And they made the point that it's actually an economic decision now. So it's kind of suggesting that even if you threw up all these different blockades and um, obstacles in the way, you might be able to slow it down a little bit, but not much. Not much, not much. And, you know, that's right on topic. I was down in Adelaide last week, uh, Giles, for the Smart Energy Summit, um, uh, which is a great little one-day event run by the uh, the Solar Council. Um, and and you know, on that very topic, um, there, was a, there was a host of great presentations, large-scale project developers, small-scale developers, new entrants. Um, everyone was very, very buoyant. Um, and the... Uh, conference was opened by Tom uh, Katzentonis, who's the Energy Kutzentonis. Kutzentonis, I beg your pardon, Kutzentonis, uh, who's the South Australian Minister for Energy. And he, he was painting that same picture, Giles. It was quite incredible to me to hear a senior government minister um, standing up and saying, it's pretty straightforward. We can see that renewables are going to be the future. We can see that there is another way to make this work. We can already see that our that our network is running just fine. Yes, we have problems. All networks have problems. The wind blows and pushes things over every now and again. But we absolutely see it. We absolutely believe that it's possible. And we absolutely want to grow renew- renewables. We don't need, um, you know, this misnomer about baseload coal. Is is When you start to hear energy ministers saying... I'm all for this, let's get on with it. Why is everybody trying to slow us down? And you, you, you look at what the IEA, IEA are saying and you say, yeah, what, what is the problem here? Well, exactly. Look, I, I wasn't at the conference, but I did actually listen to the Kutzentona speech. Um, initially, I was guided to one section where he had a big go at the National Energy Guarantee, and I reported on that, and then I decided to sit back and listen to the rest of the speech. <laughs> and I've got to say, I was actually really impressed, and, and, and I'd been meaning to write an article about that, but um, I've just been waylaid by all the other things that seem to happen in our little corner of the world. Yes. Oliver Yates, uh, former head of the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, gave a great presentation on the NEG, actually. Um, it was um, It was one of the most detailed um, deconstructions of exactly how that process uh, had happened, which was quite alarming in itself. I mean, the the speed at which uh, the letter was drafted, uh, the, the position was put and the recommendations were put out was you know, frightening. It all happened in a number of days. And of course, there is no policy per se. Um, he described the NEG as, uh, and I quote, uh, the government trying to make the NEG look like Goldilocks porridge, not too hot, not too cold, just right, you know, trying to appease everybody with a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, he was um, He was quite adamant in his He was absolutely adamant in his criticism and, in fact, painted a rather scary picture uh, for anyone in solar and said, you know, do not sit on your laurels. Um, The NEG, in his view, has a a very concise and clear intention, and that is to bolster uh, conventional coal uh, and to stymie renewables. Uh, But great presentation. 
Yeah, no, look, um, Oliver has definitely has got a fire in his belly about this. Um, if you go back a couple of weeks ago, he was at the Liberal Party fundraising event in Melbourne yes. at the Glasshouse yes. at MCG. And to his horror, to his horror, the uh, one of the Victorian senators presented to Scott Morrison, who was speaking at the event, a lump of brown coal um, from the Victorian Latrobe Valley. And yes. Oliver stood Brilliant. up and said, you have absolutely <laughs> got to be kidding me, um, and got shouted down and was basically asked to leave by Michael Kroger, the head of the uh, Liberal Party there. Um, Oliver went outside and he got on the phone to me at about 11 o'clock in the evening and just went off. <laughs> and Oliver's father was a Liberal senator, right? So he is a... He's he a, was a Liberal MP both Liberal in, the MP? House of, in, the, in the House of Lords and in the Australian Houses of Parliament, um, right. can you believe? And, and um, Oliver himself is a member of the Liberal Party. Um, yeah. But look, going back to the NEG, though, um, it is actually interesting because of this confusion around the National Energy Guarantee, mm. um, the fact that there are no details, the fact that the modelling that they're assuming is really scary, um, yeah. both on a dumb assumption of some really outdated costs, plus their assumed share of renewables, everyone is presupposing that this obviously means a big slowdown in not just large-scale solar, but also rooftop solar. This then is feeding into this sort of frenzy of speculation and rumour mongering going around the, um, the market. And I guess this has been probably, um, look, we've seen that this week with various rumours about what could possibly happen to the small scale scheme. Um, yes. You know, there's talk about the price, the clearinghouse price being cut. There's been talk about sort of limits and bringing down the capacity from 100 kilowatts to 10 kilowatts. Yeah, trying to kill off commercial is what I heard, right? Well, right, yes. Yeah, but look, it might not be that sinister, sinister because, I mean, it, look, these are just rumours, but I guess there's concern about the lack of clarity and, and also past performance in this industry. Mm. What we did learn today was that clean energy regulator is making an adjustment and trying to make it clear that rooftop systems from 10 kilowatts to 100 kilowatts can only access the small-scale scheme um, up to As now. As opposed to the large-scale uh, Well, apparently they had a choice of both. I didn't actually they know did. that. But they did. They had a choice, yes. Yes, yeah, yes, that's right. I suppose they could move from prices to prices. So look, I guess that's a, an okay thing. Um, but I just wish there was just a bit more clarity and a bit more sort of... Um, Oh, look, just a bit of you know, just a bit more confidence boosting from the government and the authorities about the future for the industry because it is such a crucial thing for households, and for um, and for businesses. And if you actually look down the future, just for distributed energy, we know that it's actually going to be the best thing in the future is to have more distributed energy, probably coupled with battery storage, because that's going to actually boost the networks, as we talked about last time with that um, Osgrid tender. That's right. And and look, Charles, you, you know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't chat to um, one of the people that I know in the industry who has a question and, and, and says, Nigel, what do you think the NEG actually means? Do you think this is going to, should I be changing my business plan, right? So, you know, if there was a message that I could give uh, to the guys down in Canberra, it's that the reality is that people are making decisions now based on, you know, uh, this rumour mongering and the noise that's coming out of this because we're in a vacuum. All they've done is terrify and there are businesses right now who are deciding to change their business strategy because they, they're just so nervous about this. The flip side of that, and we've seen this time and time again in this industry, is when it looks like there's nervousness and and or there may be a policy change, what do the less scrupulous members of the solar industry do? They use that as a sales tactic and they scare people into buying solar when they may not necessarily be ready. And that is rife in the industry at the moment as well. So, you know, the government's messing around and indecision and, and, and behaviour on this issue is already causing problems right now, every day, 
and and they are making yet again another uh, mess of this yeah. whole bloody situation. Now, Makes me furious. Yeah, look, I can imagine. Um, look, one of the unfortunate things about the solar industry in Australia has been that um, per capita, we've not just installed the most amount of solar on our rooftops, we've probably um, installed the most amount of pretty cheap solar as well because a lot of people just seem to go for the bottom end of the market and uh, mm-hmm. are easily swayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a few cowboys on the road. Look, there's been you've sort of discovered um, a bit more detail about... Um, um, a few more crackdowns by the regulator, at yeah. least. Or Look, maybe there's... the trade practices people. Yeah, that's right. Look, the scams and frauds are things that we, you, know, you and I both make pains to make sure that everyone's aware of this. Um, there's been a couple of interesting things going on out there in the market. Um, firstly, I stumbled across a, a registry that I hadn't actually seen before, which is run by New South Wales Department of Fair Trading. They have a complaints registry, uh, which any company who gets enough complaints will appear on. They update it every month. Uh, and and I stumbled across this registry and uh, lo and behold, there's a new record for the solar industry because there is a solar company who appears on that registry, not once, not twice, but actually four times this year and once last year as well. Um, so once again, you know, uh, we, I urge consumers to do their homework, look hard at who they're dealing with and look in these registries, look in the fair trading registry, look at the complaints online. The wonderful thing about the internet is it does make it easier to find these types of things. So, yeah. Absolutely. We'll get a couple of quotes, and if someone's way cheaper than somebody else, then try and ask you a question about why. That's right. That's right. Yes. The other thing that's interesting um, that sort of fell off the back of this was that, you know, I was doing uh, some due diligence on a, uh, on a company recently, and um, when you really start digging, and consumers don't necessarily have the time, but we do, and when we started digging around, we found that uh, the company that we started with, you could follow a trail to 19 separate different entities. So basically there were 19 either entities or brand names out in the market that were all part of the same entity. Right now, uh, you know, and some of the names, I won't go into them, but some of the names were absolutely misleading. Uh, so, so what you're talking about here is Phoenix companies, basically some company being parked going broke and then re-emerging as something similar and not having to carry the um, not having to carry the can. That's, well, that's right. I mean, that's, whether this particular group of companies is phoenixing or has phoenixed remains to be seen. But clearly, when you say, why do you need 19 different business names to trade, you start to draw some conclusions about the fact that something might be going on or they're trying to hide something or they're, um, you know, they're trying to create these different entities well, to protect phoenixing, themselves. Phoenix, phoenixing has been a well-known issue in, 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 the, um, in the industry. Um, Huge. Look, I mean, look at, and look not, at, just and solar, not just not solar. Not just solar. Well, but just look just look at the mining industry for instance i mean if you if you um i think there's a horrific figure about um the number or the percentage of mines which are never rehabilitated because they're simply put into a company um a, yep. a, a the loss debt's of surgery which behind. has um, absolutely yeah yep. yep, yep, the debt's all left behind but there's good news on this finally finally um the government has announced that there are going to be changes that are coming in early next year so there are rule changes coming which means that company directors will have a unique identifiable and trackable id um there'll be changes to the rules around pre-insolvency advice 
advisors, there'll be penalty extensions, there's a whole lot of things. Um, I don't know how much difference they're really going to make, but it's the first significant change we've seen that is designed to um, ensure that you can't simply phoenix a company and leave the debts behind and leave those consumers in the lurch. So let's hope that comes through with, uh, with gusto uh, when, it's, uh, when it comes into force next year. Yeah, no, let's hope so. Um, look, another couple of little things. Um, you also mentioned while you're down in South Australia, um, some problems there or some questions there about South Australian power networks. Now, um, and their proposed five kilowatt limit on rooftop solar systems. Now, just to put this into a little bit of context, um, as we wrote a story a couple of weeks ago, South Australia has the highest penetration of rooftop solar per capita and as a part of the network than anywhere in the world. Rooftop solar accounted for 10% of its total local generation in 2016-17, which is like far beyond anywhere else in the world, and it will probably double over the next 10 years to the point where the amount of solar generated will actually be equivalent to the amount of demand on the grid at certain times. Mm. Um, In spring, we've already seen some new records for... um, um, new records for minimum demand on the grid, and and, and that poses an interesting conundrum for the network operators. But it seems the network themselves are sort of starting to erect a few barriers as well. They are, and, 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 you know, this is a really, really interesting uh, case down in South Australia. So so SA Power Networks are owned by the 19th richest man in the world, interestingly, so uh, uh, owned by a very wealthy individual and a a fairly profitable, I think a super profit company was the way... uh, Well, you can name him if you want, Lee Ka Shing. Uh, Lee Ka Shing, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Rags to riches story, so good on Lee Ka Shing, you know, he's... Mm-hmm. He's, he's self-made. Um, they own a b- bunch of networks, actually, in Australia, or, or, or um, they, they, they own um, uh, City Power and PowerCore in Victoria. There you go. Uh, and, uh, and and SAPN in um, in South Australia. So what, what's interesting is that SAPN and in, I'm going to I'm going to in fairness I'm going to give credit where credit's due, right? They've got a big network, one of the biggest networks in the world, 750,000 residential customers, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of lines, thousands of 73,000 street transforms. So they've got a big job, right? There's no doubt about that. And, um, you know, bless them, they've kept the lights on and they've built this huge network, which we all benefit from. So credit where credit's due to the network guys. They don't have an easy job. However... I'm just um, going to put an asterisk next to keeping the lights on, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, fair call. Um, However, uh, and in fairness, they have warned about this five kilowatt export limit coming for a while now. So if you've been paying attention, uh, it shouldn't be a big surprise. However, it is looming large now, and I think actually from the beginning of December it will come into force. Just to be clear, this is basically, so if you've got five kilowatts or more, or if you've got more than five kilowatts on your rooftop, you'll be restricted to the amount you can actually send back to the grid. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you if you want to put seven or eight or nine or ten kilowatts on your roof, uh, and you're not consuming it in the home, uh, and you try to export it, you will be required to put an export limiting device on that restricts the amount of energy that can go back into the network to five kilowatts. Now, um, this is not the only place where this happens. We've already seen it happening in Queensland, in Victoria, and in some situations even in New South Wales. So 
I get that uh, there are needs for this and I get that where there is a big voltage rise issue um, because there's so much solar flooding out into the network in the middle of the day when there's little demand because everyone's at work, I get that that is something that needs to be resolved. However, the interesting rumours that were swirling around at the event, uh, particularly over a drink or two when everyone was more relaxed, was that SAPN are responsible for the network right across South Australia. And when you think about it, it's pretty reasonable to assume that not every part of South Australia has a voltage rise issue. It's pretty easy to assume that there are many places where in fact having that excess energy and that excess capacity is actually going to help the network. It's We've seen the data uh, in the last week or two showing how what a wonderful material contribution solar is having to the generation capacity in South Australia. And yet, here we have a network company that's able to apparently fairly arbitrarily um, set a limit statewide like a sledgehammer and simply say, no, 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 we don't care where you are. We don't care what part of our network you're on. We don't care what the circumstances are. We don't even care how much solar energy we might like into our network. We're simply going to cap you at five kilowatts. Now, I, I, the interesting thing was that there are a lot of rumours swirling around of people saying, you know, maybe it's time for us to challenge these guys and say, let's see the evidence that this is an evidence-based approach. Let's see the data that shows where you have network problems. And maybe it's fair that in those areas where there's a lot of voltage rise, we might even accept as an industry, we, we might accept a, a lower limit uh, because we want to help the networks stay mm. on, on voltage as well. But in those areas where there is not a voltage problem or in those times when you do need, it, do need all that solar capacity that mum and dad and, and, and Mrs Jones are willing to invest in, we should have the right and we should have the ability to make a contribution to keeping the lights on in South Australia. So it's a, it's a really, really interesting decision and, and the rumours that were swirling was that a number of people are going to put up a challenge and insist on them sh showing us the evidence that this is, is fair and reasonable. Well, good for them, because I think um, we can probably expect more from um, these rather sophisticated network operators that they can do better than just having a blanket rule for everyone, um, because that's certainly not the way they operate their grid anyway. They just don't have a blanket rule for transformers and lines and things like that. So that's they do right. horses for courses. for in, in, and, and it's sort of, you know, it um, it's interesting. It's a contrast to what Osgrid was telling us a couple of weeks ago with their um, tender to have more rooftop solar in certain parts of the grid to... Um, to, to mean they can actually spend less, but I right, they were trying that... to solve a demand problem by adding more solar, right? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. So, I would yeah. have thought they were a roof, an, an export limiter would actually be a big incentive to battery storage, wouldn't it? You just go, if I want more panels, I'm just going to stick it all in the box. Yes, uh, that's one way to solve the problem. Um, although there mm. are some challenges there around the rules and regulations in South Australia, and um, you know there was some discussion uh, from. Um, uh, Mark Parnell, actually, who was asked a question of the audience at the Smart Energy Summit about, you know, should should we be arguing for changes to the regulations? Because currently, if you want to protect your feed-in tariff that you may be lucky enough to have in South Australia, you can't put storage on, right? It's one or the other. So um, there's a there's a price to pay in all of those. Um, in, there's there's a, there's, a, there's always a trade-off and there's always a balance, right? But but I think what infuriates everyone is when you see a carte blanche blanket sledgehammer approach taken that 
really contrast with some of the other behaviour that we're seeing from networks, where they're saying, let's do more solar. Solar does have a, a powerful role to play. It does have a positive role to play. And then on the other hand, we see a fairly crude approach like this. I'll be really interested to hear what comes out of this, actually. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? The networks, mm. they kind of, you know, give us a nice little smile occasionally, but not quite ready to give us a bit of a hug and an embrace. <laughs> so, <laughs> we just love right. your solar. We love, yeah. your, we love your distributed generation, mainly because they're trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do with all of us there in the business model. Well, look, and that's the common theme that we've seen with, with, with all of these guys, right, is it's time for them to really catch up. It's just time yeah. to catch up. Let's get a bit smarter about this, and, and then we won't have to have such brutal uh, uh, attempts to, to solve problems which end up creating a whole new set of problems. That would then require of us to have a discourse, a political discourse about energy, which wasn't polarised and political and actually sort of got to some of the actual um, actual issues there. Um, not unlike we do on Solar Insiders and Energy Insiders. But, um, Nigel, it's been a great pleasure. We're going to have to wind it up there, I think. Um, most of um, our listeners probably would have um, driven or arrived at um, where they were going to. Or, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, 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 or completed the washing of the dishes or, or done whatever. Look, um, thanks to all the listeners who listen. Um, we do appreciate your feedback. Do leave a review on your iTunes. Do send us some any suggestions you've got of topics and interviews. We were hoping to have someone to talk about um, going off grid today, but um, it didn't quite work out, unfortunately. So that's for but, another um, time. And we've got a couple of other good guests lined up as well uh, for future episodes as well, right? Good stuff. Mate, thanks very much, and um, we'll be back in a fortnight. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. By navigating the changing energy landscape, Solar Analytics helps increase solar performance and saves money. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.